0: It's really good to see all of you here tonight. We're going to start by reviewing just momentarily our memory passage for this year that pastor put in front of us back at the beginning of 2024 and that's in Galatians chapter 5. You undoubtedly recall that particularly the first three evidences of spiritual fruit in a believer's life, the first three listed in this passage, love and joy and peace, have been especially our prayerful desire as the Lord works in us and through us as He tarries this year. And That fruit of the Spirit, of course, is embedded in a context that most immediately begins in verse 16 of Galatians 5. Spiritual fruit is born as we walk by the Spirit, as we're led by the Spirit, as we keep in step with as we follow the commands of the Holy Spirit. And so, we're beginning our memory work there in verse 16. We'll read together tonight verses 16 through 18, three verses. There are 11 verses from verse 16 to the end of the chapter. And uh, we're coming to the end of the second month, so I think working on the first three of 11 is, is a pretty good pace. Uh, And so we'll read those and then try to say them as much from memory as possible a couple of times this evening. Galatians 5, verses 16 through 18. Let's read these. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Very good. Let's try that from memory as best we can. Galatians five sixteen through 18 But I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Very good. Let's try that one more time. Galatians 5.16 But I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Amen. Would you turn in your Bible to Matthew chapter 6? I believe the Lord would have us once again consider a familiar and profound passage at the heart of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount, and we'll begin simply by reading it. Galatian, or excuse me, Matthew, chapter six, starting in verse twenty-five through the end of the chapter. Jesus Christ says, For this reason I say to you, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink, nor for your body as to what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air that they do not sow, "'Nor reap, nor gather into barns, "'and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. "'Are you not worth much more than they? "'And who of you by being worried "'can add a single hour to his life? "'And why are you worried about clothing? "'Observe how the lilies of the field grow. "'They do not toil, nor do they spin.' Yet I say to you that not even Solomon in all his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? Do not worry then, saying, What will we eat? Or what will we drink? Or what will we wear for clothing? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things, for your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We'll give some meditation to this passage tonight under three headings. And the first is simply to note what the main issue is. What is the main issue under consideration in this portion of our Lord's sermon? Well, it's it's not difficult to discern. Three times our Lord commands us, exhorts us, do not be worried. Do not worry. Do not worry. In verse 27, he says, and who of you by being worried? In verse 28, and why are you worried? And there's a sixth reference, sixth occurrence to this term, It's translated differently in our New American Standard Bible. If you look at verse 34, it says, For tomorrow will care for itself. And you probably have a marginal note that indicates that is the same word, worry. The King James Version translates this, Take no thought. But take no thought, that phrase, meant something a little different in 1611. It it didn't mean that you should be careless, as we would say. The English Standard Version translates it, do not be anxious. Anxiety is a common term for this in our age. The main issue is worry. In fact, those six occurrences of that word comprise nearly a third of all the references at least using this word for worry in the New Testament. Six out of 19. We observe secondly about this main issue of worry. Not only is it the key issue in this familiar passage, but it is one of two temptations concerning wealth or concerning material possessions that our Lord addresses successively here in chapter 6. It's the second of those. The first of them in verses 19 through 24 has to do with greed, with covetousness, with laying up treasure on earth instead of laying up treasure in heaven. Greed and anxiety. Covetousness and worry. Both of them have to do With our material possessions, with our daily existence, with our wealth, with our seeming needs. I read recently that living standards from 1000 B.C., so the time of King David, to A.D. 1600, Queen Elizabeth I passed away in 1603, and James of King James Version Uh, fame came to the throne then. So, we'll just say from King David to King James, the living standard worldwide varied very little. The gross domestic product increased tenfold, a thousand percent but the population increased to that same degree. I'm not an economist, but I'm told that that's how they're calculating the standard of living. Since then, of course, our standard of living has spiked, particularly in the last 250 years. In fact, this same book was relating that our current standard of living exceeds that, of 250 years ago by approximately 10 times worldwide. Worldwide. Yet with all that we have, have you noticed that the cares of this world have not gone away? In fact, in one sense, the more you have, the more care accompanies it. And I was thinking... Today, that perhaps Wednesday evening for God's people as we gather together is the time of the week where we most feel the cares of this world. They, they come and go at various times, I understand, but, but often I have found this true for myself coming on a Wednesday night and sitting in the pew and feeling tired, and, and they call it hump day, but you sort of feel like you're at the bottom of the hump. Or underneath the hump, maybe? We're several days past the Lord's Day. We're several days until the next Lord's Day. We still have a good bit to do on Thursday and Friday, if not Saturday as well. And we come and we have a prayer sheet and it too is filled with concerns. Legitimate concerns. Concerns that we want to bring and will bring before the Lord. I had opportunity to have a phone conversation today with a customer service agent about a, an item that had not arrived in the mail as predicted, as promised. And uh, I think it qualifies as a very minor care of the world, at least for a few minutes. That's very much how it felt. Even though we have much, we still have care. And we're still prone to this anxiety, to this worry. And before we move on, it it would be important to notice how the passage that we read begins. Notice that very first phrase in verse 25. For this reason, I say to you, there is a connector between the preceding context and verse 25. For this reason. And so, because Jesus first addressed us about covetousness, greed, earthly-mindedness, and then connected it to this sermon about worry, we really should not assume that we can follow His counsel regarding anxiety if we are refusing His command concerning greed and earthly-mindedness. If, if we are not submitting our hearts to the reality that there is only one God, and Him only shalt thou serve, and, and therefore our eye must be single, and our investments must be heavenward, and we must realize that where our treasure is, there our heart will be also. If, if, if we're passing by that command that part of the sermon, then we really should have no self-assurance that we will be able to overcome the anxiety that often fills our souls. The two must be considered together. But it's not our, not our purpose tonight to consider this entire passage, and so we'll focus on this, on this temptation to be worried. Worry is an emotional response to pressure. It's a powerful response, a powerful emotion. That pressure can come from within, it can come from without, or both. The passage here draws attention to pressure from without. A a lack or a a concern for the lack of food and clothing and necessities. But as perhaps many of us know by experience, pressure from without can also cultivate pressure also coming from within. It's like like pressure on a joint, either a a, a physical bodily joint or, or perhaps one in the construction of a building. pressures about what well the necessities necessities of life our lord is focusing on the essentials food and clothing and this food and clothing seems also to represent categories food the provision that we need from day to day and clothing. Clothing here is, is, is not really about fashion. It, it does mention the, the glory of, of Solomon and exceeding that glory. But, but, but the point here is, is not, does not seem to be appearance, how we appear to other people, but, but really a, a protection from the elements, so to speak. Provision and protection, sufficiency and security, food and clothing. Do not be worried about your life and about these essentials of life. I was reminded actually just this morning of a book that was written in the, I believe, early 1600s. And John Owen wrote a a recommendation for this book. He spoke of how it ministered to him as a young man, as a young Christian. And thirty years later, there was a new, uh, new version, new edition being published, and so he wrote a recommendation for it. It's a book called "The Christian's Daily Walk in Holy Security and Peace" it's by a, a man named Henry Scudder. It's. I think out of print, except for, and you can find copies from India and that sort of thing on Amazon, but mainstream publications, it's out of print as far as I could tell. Scudder, in a section there on care, makes a helpful distinction. He says lawful care, taking responsibility, being diligent making plans. The kinds of things that you're going to have to do when you get up in the morning, Lord willing. Lawful care is an act of wisdom. He goes on later to contrast that with sinful care is an act of fear and distrust. And then after an intervening portion, he ends that Clarification with these words about success. Lawful care is an act of wisdom, sinful care is an act of fear and distrust about success. Do you hear the difference? We are to give care to what the Lord has placed in our hands to steward. We must. We are responsible agents. But that moves into sinful care as our hearts turn to worry, to fear, to, he used the word distrust, the opposite of, of trusting God and his promises. Distrust, particularly about this, about success, about what we envision as success, about who is responsible for success. Is that under my control? Am I sovereign over how that turns out? That's when we know we're in this realm of sinful care. And one more observation under this first point about the main issue of this passage, which is worry or anxiety, and that is that there's testimony here that this is a common struggle. There are, of course, People, including God, some of God's people who, who greatly struggle with anxiety to a more extreme extent, but, but worry actually is common to man. It's a common response. The Lord says, He does three other times in the Gospel of Matthew, to disciples, not to the world, to disciples, you are you men of little faith. But what we want to take the rest of our time and notice is how our Lord addresses weak and wrong but real emotions. Weak and in this case wrong, sinful but real emotions. He he does command three times he says do not worry, do not be worried. But he does so with gentle, probing reasons. We might call it authoritative counsel. This passage is counsel filled. And so we want to notice both the Lord's counsel about worry specifically. The content of this part of the sermon, but secondly, we also want to notice how the Lord uses His counsel to prepare for a promise. He is going to give; a, He does give a promise in this passage, but He reasons to it spiritually, and that I think will help us as we continue to give consideration to appropriating the promises of God like firewood for the furnace of our souls. Second heading. Let's consider briefly this sufficient promise. We'll come back to the counsel that leads to it, but verse 33, perhaps the most familiar of all verses in this passage, the Lord says, Seek first God's kingdom and His righteousness. And here's the promise all these things will be added to you. All these things will be granted to you. Everything that you need, all that is essential, will be given, will be granted, will be provided to you. So, as the previous section, verses 19 through 24, teach that our stewardship of resources really displays our allegiance and our submission How we are investing shows who our master is and where our heart is. So, these verses, the ones that we've read and are focusing on, are situated here with a repeated command not to worry to underscore that how we view our needs is fundamentally a matter of faith, it's a matter of trust. And the Lord knows that, and the Lord ministers promises to us very often in His word about our temporal needs. I was reminded of Psalm 34:10. What a blessed verse among a blessed psalm: "The young lions do lack and suffer hunger, but they who seek the Lord shall not be in want of any good thing." No good thing, Psalm 84, 11, does He withhold from those who walk uprightly. No good thing. You shall not want any good thing. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. I shall not lack. That's comprehensive. It's full. It's complete. All these things will be added to you. So, the Lord could have come to us who are prone to worry in various ways, and He could have simply commanded us not to worry. Stop it. Stop worrying. And He actually does that. He does command us. He does pinpoint our will. We, ha- we have to decide not to worry. Or he could have, either in addition to that, or apart from that, could have simply given a promise. All of you who are prone to worry, listen. I add all things that you need to you. I'm promising you. And he does that. He does give a promise. And yet, what seems so helpful in the counsel of this passage is that while the Lord does command and the Lord does promise, He doesn't only do those things. He comes to us with counsel, with reasons. He leads us to this promise as He presses on our will with these commands. There's a collective sermon here of multiple components. And so let's finally look and thirdly look at this this counsel. This you might call it preparatory counsel flowing from the command and toward the promise. Fear is powerful and it's often irrational. Certainly sinful fear is irrational. Many of us have worked with children, either our own or others, and they have been beset with an anxiety, with a worry, a fear of some sort. And we try to help them understand why they need not fear this. We quote to them verses like Psalm 56.3, When I'm afraid, I will trust in you. I will trust in the Lord. And yet there is this irrationality that that, that cannot really come to grips with with truth, with facts, and, and lets this emotional response overpower all of that. So our Lord comes to us And with these, with this threefold command, he reasons with us. And he reasons with us so gently. He shepherds us. I was thinking about Isaiah forty, verse eleven this morning. Like a shepherd, he will tend his flock. In his arm, he will gather the lambs and carry them in His bosom. He will gently lead the nursing ewes. That is our Savior. That is our God. He's our shepherd. And when He comes to people who are worried, who are beset with anxiety, who are weighed down with the cares of this world and whose, whose emotions are intertwined with that in a sinful way, He comes and He brings reasons for us to trust Him. So when we read promises like this concerning material needs, we need to look for God's counsel that accompanies them. We need to mix the promises with faith. Not presumption. Not simply saying, well... I'm going to, God named it, I'm going to claim it, regardless of what God intends to do in my life through this. No, I'm going to listen to God's counsel and receive and use the promise on that basis. What are the aspects of this counsel? Well, in verse 25, our Lord says, do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat or what you will drink nor for your body as to what you will put on. He's talking about our our physical existence in the now. And then he says this. Here's a first point of counsel. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Our Lord reminds us that there is more to reality than, than simply these necessities. And he also reminds us that he is the giver of life. I've given you life. I've created your body. I'm sovereign. I sustain you moment by moment. Is not the body more than, than, than simply these, these particular needs that have you worried? You have already received more than these basic needs. You know, we we do often have a lot of physical needs represented on our prayer sheet on Wednesday evening. We could, in a congregation of our size, we could take up a good portion of each day praying for one another's physical, material needs. Now, we could throw up our hands and say, well, yeah, there's too much of that. I'm I'm just not going to get into that. That would not be right. We could let those things predominate us so that we actually don't pray about God's name being hallowed and His kingdom coming and His will being done. We could subordinate the spiritual and perhaps we... We sometimes do because there are so many other things to pray about physically. We must not do that, but we must also look at these physical needs and ask ourselves what is God doing spiritually by creating these needs in each other's lives? How can we pray spiritually for physical needs? It is appropriate to pray for healing. It is appropriate to pray for a job interview. It, it is appropriate to pray for protection. And as God answers those prayers in His goodwill, part of what He's doing is, is, is He's addressing our own souls, and we should pray along these lines. Lord, help us. Help my brother. Help my sister. Help me to remember and in this circumstance to grow in my understanding that you have already provided for more than these basic needs. You are the giver of life. There's a second piece of counsel in verse 26. The Lord familiarly here points to the birds of the air how our Heavenly Father feeds them, and then He says, are you not worth much more than they? How fitting a request in prayer is this. Lord, would you help us to, to believe that our life is of such great value to you? It, it It's a point that that... That almost seems so elementary that that we should take it for granted and and we wonder even why the Lord mentioned a, a bird and us. But how often does our worry controvert that, push against that, undermine that? We are that much more valuable to our Father than all of these creatures that He cares for. Millions and billions of them. Are you not worth much more than they? That's part of our Lord's counsel. I'm the giver of life. My Father cares about you to a degree you could not understand. Number three, in verse 27, we find another piece of counsel. Again, it's in the form of questions. This is part of the Lord's gentle shepherding. He's not coming and, and just kind of thrusting statements. He's he's actually raising questions. He's provoking thought. He says in verse 27, and who of you by being worried can add a single hour or literally cubit to his life? Now, how do you add a cubit to your soul or your life? Commentators, you know, say interesting things about all of this. But the point in context seems to be this. How are you ever, through worry, going to extend your life? Push push the mile marker past 26 to 27 or beyond. Worry is never going to extend your life. The Lord counsels us. He, he, he He takes worry... And he zooms in on it, and he says, of what value is this? You are much more valuable to my Father than than these. Now, how valuable is worry? Our worry will always fall short. We, we, We need to pray this for one another. Our worry will always fall short. It will never accomplish good. Our Lord continues along these lines, pointing us to the lilies of the field that grow by by God's design, by God's production. They aren't creating themselves, clothing themselves, but they're, they're beautiful. Again, they're very temporal. They only last for a very short amount of time then he comes in verse 32 with a fourth point of counsel. He says, For the Gentiles eagerly seek all these things. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. And in verse 33, All these things will be added. He uses that same phrase three times. Gentiles seek for, for all these things. They clamor for them. They worry about them. They're consumed with them. But your Father knows that you need all these things. That's the fourth point of counsel. He's the giver of life. Your life is more valuable to Him. Your worry will always fall short. And fourthly, your heavenly Father knows what you need. That may be different from what we, we think we need, right? Right? That's sometimes where the worry comes in, because our expectations have have gotten off course from, from the Lord's intent. But our Heavenly Father knows what we need, and He always, He always provides. There's a little book that Charles Spurgeon penned toward the end of his life, and as So many of you know that was a period of his life that was fraught with challenge, with controversy, with disappointment, with physical illness. And Spurgeon wrote a little book called The Checkbook of the Bank of Faith. It's based on a simple illustration that God's promises are checks that we can take to the bank. And we have copies of this in the bookstore. You can follow along day by day. I, I looked at today's reading. It's based on Hebrews ten thirty four. You have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. And he says this in the midst of the little reading based on this verse. Should not the thought of the better substance on the other side of Jordan reconcile us to present losses? Present losses Things that perhaps we thought we needed, but God has determined, no, we actually don't need. And then he says this, our spending money we may lose, but our treasure is safe. Our spending money we may lose. Think of going to, to, to a, a grand place, the, 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 the Biltmore, or, or some impressive location and you had a little spending money. You, you wanted to buy some ice cream. And somehow you misplaced the spending money. And you came home and somebody asked, how, how was the visit to the Biltmore? And you said, well, it, it actually, it, it didn't go very well. I lost my spending money and didn't, wasn't able to buy ice cream. Yeah, 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 but what about the Biltmore? We may lose our spending money. The Lord may determine that we don't need the spending money. But our treasure is safe with the Lord. Quickly, there are at least two more points of counsel, and we'll just merely mention them. A fifth piece of counsel, it comes in a slightly different form. It is a command. Verse 33 says, Seek first. That's, That's an imperative. Seek first God's kingdom and righteousness. You must focus on God's kingdom and righteousness. They come first. Our needs, at least the basic ones, are not necessarily different from those of unbelievers, from the Gentiles who eagerly seek after all these things. But how we seek resolutions to those needs, that's what must be different. Because we're seeking the meeting of these needs underneath the umbrella of God's kingdom and righteousness. And finally, in verse 34, our Lord comes with almost a postscript and says, Each day has enough trouble of its own. Tomorrow will, will worry for itself. <laughs> That's not to discourage. He, he didn't shepherd us all the way to trusting this promise, to obeying his command and trusting his promise, only to say, You know what? You should be really discouraged because tomorrow's going to be full of trouble. That's not the point of verse 34. Each day has its own concerns. Why, why would God, in His sovereignty, in His providence, determine that, that each day had concerns for itself? Because He knows we have to walk by faith. We must walk by faith Today. And then when we come to tomorrow, as he tarries, we have to walk by faith tomorrow because that is how we reach glory, by faith. Don't worry about tomorrow. There will be concerns tomorrow that the Lord will have mercies for and that you'll have to walk by faith in. Trust me. Seek first my kingdom. Believe that I'll add whatever you need today. When we read promises concerning material needs, we need to look for God's counsel about how to apply them. Not all of that counsel, of course, will be as full as this part of our Lord's sermon. But the Lord gives us promises. We've hit this theme many times. The Lord gives us promises not simply so we're sufficed, but so that we will know Him. So that we will know and love and worship the promiser. He's the point of the promises. So, mix the promises, not with presumption, but with faith. It is perhaps simpler to preach about worry than to live trusting God and not being anxious. But we do live in a world full of care. We live in a world overrun with anxiety. You may be facing very significant pressure as we speak tonight. But we need to sit at the feet of our Lord and listen to his counsel and let him lead us with these spiritual, scriptural thoughts to this promise. And we need to rest in it because all of God's promises are yes in Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your love. Please help us to keep ourselves in that love. And we do pray for one another that as we face the temptation to be anxious, that You would bring these truths to our minds and hearts, and that we would settle in them, we would obey with our will, we would obey Your command and trust your promise, and find that you are more true to your word than we could have ever imagined. Lord, please help us. We, we are weak. Please strengthen us even tonight as we pray. We ask in Christ's name. Amen.